And if we could, if we could really, I'm a little hot, if, if we could really see it, folks, if we could really see the price that was paid, that you could sit here and call yourself saved, you'd give Jesus ten times of everything you had. Amen? You'd, uh, you'd, you'd retrofit your garage and preach, and you'd you know, go on the street, and you know what? Whatever it is, man, whatever it is, the Lord will settle the accounts later. Jesus Christ is worth everything. He's just like he's worth burning out the clutch and emptying the tank and giving it your all. And we're going to look at an aspect of the cross that maybe you don't realize today. Uh, We're going to be in the book of John chapter 12. Uh, We're going to be there. We've been going through John um, slowly with many detours, but uh, we're back in it right now. John chapter 12. And we're going to read down by verse 31. We'll be that'll be our text, really. Um, John 12. Um, and we, um, we rejoice in the cross today. Amen? Amen. Come on. Can, can you give the Lord a little bit more than that? <laughs> there you go. There you go. I mean, I know you mean well. I know you love them. But I'm just trying to play a little cheerleader here. I left my pom-poms in the car, but I, we can still cheer a little bit. And if you're saved, we rejoice in the cross because it's your victory. <laughs> I mean, it's the saint's delight. I'm not talking about the wood that some people think they found somewhere. That's, that's nonsense. We're not talking about some superstitious mojo. We're talking about the act and what was accomplished on that cross, right? The power of that cross that was sung about. That should delight you. And, um, but as much as you delight in the cross and rejoice in the cross, the devil regrets the cross. Amen. Because if you were the serpent... Old split foot, that cross spelled your defeat. It was the devil's and the Satan's destruction. Amen? Amen. In fact, if you read the Gospels closely in the book of Mark, I'm not going to turn there, but in the beginning of Jesus Christ's crucifixion, all he was going through, the devil kind of got into that crowd and he moved the hearts of the people to cry what? Crucify him! Crucify him! They couldn't wait to see that rabble rouser and that Messiah nailed to that stick. But I think after a while, I think the devil realized the jig was up. And I think uh, if you read a little later in the book of Mark, when he realized he'd been beat and he'd been played and he'd been sucker punched by God himself, the devil starts making the crowd say, hey, come down, come down, come down. Because I think the devil realized that he was getting punked right there on the cross. He was getting beat. His defeat was getting spelled out on that cross. And in John chapter 12, verse 31, Jesus Christ in this passage has been discussing his death. And look what he says in verse 31. He points to the cross in verse 31 as the devil's doom. Right there, look what he says. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. I'd like to talk to you today about a particular aspect of the cross, the devil's doom, and how the cross spelled finito for old split foot, how it was the crushing blow that would get him set up to be finished off for good. Now, at his first coming, the devil was defeated at the cross. His power was broken. He was rendered impotent at the cross. 
But at his second coming, brethren, happening very soon to a city near you, at his second coming, the devil will be destroyed because of the cross. Because of the cross. Now, if you've been delivered, say amen if you're saved. If you're really saved, say amen a little louder. There we go. I'm just playing with you. And if you've been delivered, the cross should be your delight. I know it isn't always. Some days the cares of life weigh you down and it's hard to shout. I don't judge you. Uh, We're all human. We all bleed. We all put our pants on one leg at a time. We're all the same. We all have our ups and downs. We know the cross should be our delight. And I know some days it isn't always as much as it should be. No matter what, though, the cross is the devil's doom. No matter how you feel or what he does, the cross is the devil's doom. And I hope you can shout a little bit today because we're going to talk about the devil's doom. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we love you today. We thank you. And we just pray, Lord, you just give us understanding. And I don't know, Lord, if there happens to be someone who isn't saved or maybe someone starting with me, Lord, who isn't delighting in the cross like I should. Let me get this look at it today, Father. Magnify your son. Magnify his work. Lift him up so high that we would just praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's go to verse number 23. Verse number 23 is where we'll start. I got two quick points here for you because this verse kind of breaks it down for me, right? At Jesus Christ's first coming, the devil was defeated. I'll show you right there. Look at verse 23. 23. Now, Jesus Christ has just entered Jerusalem. This is it. This is the last week. He's going to get betrayed and and crucified in a few days. He knows that. So in verse number 23 and 24, Jesus Christ is speaking about his death now that he's entered Jerusalem where he knows he's going to die in just a few days. Where that crowd that was crying Hosanna in just a few days time is going to be crying crucify him. Verse number 23, he says, and Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the son of man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. So Jesus Christ, they wanted to see him in verse, I think, 21 and 22. And it's interesting. Jesus Christ starts talking about his death. He says, you really want to see me? You want to know what's going to happen? I'm going to die and I'm going to be glorified. And that's what he starts talking about. And then he gets down to 31 and he says, now is the judgment of this world. Wow, isn't that strange? He says now, in the context of his cross and the context of him dying, he says now is the judgment of this world. You say, Jesus, what are you talking about? He says through the cross, through what he's going to do by dying, Jesus Christ is going to take all the judgment this evil world deserves upon himself. That judgment's about to be executed upon the sinless Son of God Amen. Thank you, Jesus, goes right there. But I'm just warming you up. I know. Look at verse number 47. 47. I know I'm starting at like Mach 3 right now because I've been thinking about this. I hope I can get you where I am, ready to run around the room and like jump up and down or something. Look at verse 47. When Jesus Christ died on that cross, he was taking all the judgment that all the world deserved upon himself, and God was executing it right there on the sin of the Son of God. That's why he could say, now is the judgment of this world. Because their debt is going to fall on me. Look at verse 47 at the end of your chapter here. Jesus Christ still says, If any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. 
For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. See, Jesus Christ is saying again, I didn't come to bring judgment upon the world. No, 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 not yet, not yet. He says, this time I came to take the judgment the world deserves upon myself. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, goes right there. Now, go to John chapter 1, look at verse 29. John 1, 29. John 1, 29. Flip fast with me if you can. John 1, 29. Look what, look what John the Baptist said here when he pointed out Jesus Christ. <clears throat> John 1, 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Ooh, you think about that? You think about all sin has done to you and all sin could do to you and all the evil that sin has done to this world and Jesus Christ shows up and says, I could, I'll take it. I'll put it on my back. I'll put it on my shoulders. I'll nail it to my cross. I'll deposit it in hell so you could go free. Man. If we could just get that, if we could just get that. I know you got all your doctrinal stuff right, but if you don't get down to the fact that you have some natural affection, that Jesus took the bullet of God's wrath for you, I don't know what else to say. I don't know what else to say. He taketh away the sin of the world, because at his first coming, Jesus Christ took away, or made possible to take away, the enmity, the source of enmity between God and the world. Sin. Sin is what gets between you and God every time. It got between him at the garden. It'll get between you and God at the dinner table today when you get stupid. You know what? It's sin is the cause of every problem. It was taking you to hell and it'll make your life a living hell if you let sin get between you and God. That wasn't in the notes, but that's some good preaching right there. Sin is the problem. It's nothing else. It's sin. Now it manifests in lots of different ways. It it manifests as violence, it manifests as cabals, it manifests as racism, it manifests in all these different faces, but if you were to nail it right down, it's sin. And I is right in the middle of it. Sin. You know, if Jesus Christ took the source of enmity upon himself so you could go free, can I ask a crazy rhetorical question? If Jesus Christ shed his blood to save you from God's judgment... Why would you die and go to hell? Why would you? And I'm, I mean, I'm talking to you at home too. Why would you die and go to hell if Jesus Christ took the enmity upon himself? I mean, to bring it down to a place we can relate to, if you had a terminal disease and they gave you six months to live and the cure is offered to you for free, why would you choose to perish? Oh man, it would be the craziest thing in the world. Why wouldn't you receive Jesus Christ? Why wouldn't you run to the cross and flee to the Savior? Why would you tarry one millisecond? Man, if I had any Ebola in me and you were holding out the cure, you, I'd bust a line through these chairs to get that cure from you. But Jesus Christ holds his arm open wide and says, Come unto me, all ye that labor to heavy laden. And people are like, well, it depends on how you think about it. That's a perspective. I don't know if that's the traditional position. What? You're a sinner and he's a savior. Get to him as fast as you can. Like Spurgeon said, make a beeline for the cross. Get to him as fast as you can. And if you're struggling with sin today and you're saved, get back to that savior, man. Get back to that savior. Don't tarry another second. Go to John chapter 3. Look at John chapter 3. 
Man, he's worthy of a shout. He's worthy of a praise. Look at John chapter 3, verse 17. I might, man, I better hurry because I might be here for seven hours. John, my, my permit ends a little later, so I got to hurry. John three seventeen. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Woo! At the cross, you know what Jesus did? He took. He didn't give. He took our condemnation. He didn't give us condemnation. We were already condemned. He took our condemnation. What is that? Our punishment. Our wrath. Our chastisement. Our whipping. Our stripes. Our hell. To give us his heaven. Praise Jesus. Praise the Lord. Now, let's bring it to what I was talking about. The devil's doom. How does Jesus Christ taking the judgment of this world upon himself spell doom for the devil? Valid question. Well, you remember that in 2 Corinthians 4.4, we don't have to flip there. The devil is called, Satan is called, the God, small g, of this world. So Satan is the spiritual leader of this world. You understand that, right? He is the spiritual leader of this world. He is the God. That's a spiritual being. He is the God of this world. So that means all the false religions, all the false ideas, all the conspiracies, all the evil behind the scenes, Satan is the God of this world. You say, do you believe in a Satan? Do you mean to tell me you don't? Do you think the human mind, as depraved as it is, is able to conceive some of the wickedness that goes on in this world? There is some twisted, sick stuff that goes on in the world that you don't even realize about that doesn't make the evening news and old Beelzebub is behind it because he's wicked and he's sinister and he's the devil and he's the God of this world. And the judgment of God upon this world gives the devil leverage. It gives him some measure of authority. It gives him some power over you. You know, according to Revelation 12, 10, the devil is a prosecuting attorney. And if he's a prosecuting attorney, you know what he needs? He needs some leverage in court. He needs some dirt on you. He needs some evidence on you. He needs something to kind of get you convicted before the judge. Now go to Hebrews chapter 2. Go to Hebrews chapter 2. Let me show you this. Making sense so far? Okay. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Start with myself. We all, de- we all need to lighten up and enjoy Jesus Christ a little more. Right? So like, loosen up. I know I got a tie. I'm going to drop about five pounds of water weight by the time this message is done. But you know what? We're just a family. We're a, bunch of, we're a bunch of sinners that were saved by grace. And we're happy to be called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So, man, wherever, wherever the saints of God are meeting, we just get around the book and we just want to preach and talk about Jesus. And if you want to shout, you want to cry, that's between you and God. Amen. Now, look, if the bank levies a judgment against you, the court has power over you. They can seize your stuff. They could capture your assets. They could, like, you know, if they levy a judgment against you, they got some kind of lien on you. That means they got leverage on you. They could take something from you. And if you look at Hebrews 2.14, you're going to find out that before the cross, the devil had the power of death. He had some leverage on you. 
because you are under the debt of God's sin and under the judgment that God had for this world. So the devil had some leverage on you. See Hebrews 2.14? For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he, meaning Jesus, also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death, meaning Jesus Christ's death on the cross, he might destroy him that had passed Hence, the power of death that is the devil. So the devil had the power of death before the cross. He had leverage on you, folks. He had you under his thumb. And when you died, you were going to go to hell because he had the power of death upon you and you couldn't escape. But look what happens. The world was in debt and under the judgment of God. In fact, Romans says death reigned. Death had authority over you, and the devil was happy to be the executor of that judgment upon you. He was happy to see everybody slipping into hell and being punished for their sin. He took joy in it, that sick, twisted person that some of you listen to sometimes. That one that liked to see you kick to the curb, watch your family go to hell and back. He'd like nothing more than to steal your health, your family, your life, your joy, take everything good from you, and bust your teeth on the curb and laugh while he did it. And some of God's people listened to his foolish talk. Shame on me and shame on us. Listen, keep going. Verse 15. Let me show you what the the Lord did. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You know what the devil had? He had that leverage. You know what that leverage was? Keys. He had the keys of hell and of death. You know what keys represent? Authority. The ability to open and close things. And the devil had the keys of hell and of death. He had the authority to keep people in bondage. Like the repo man. He had the ability to seize your soul. Because the judgment of God was upon you. And when you died, he'd show up like the repo man and say, uh-uh, you're coming, where, you're coming down, buddy. I got God's judgment has been levied against you. I'm going to execute this judgment upon you and you're going to hell. And he had the keys of hell and of death. You know what the Bible says about death? That put people scared. They were in fear. Why? If it's only natural. Isn't that strange? If we're all just these biological burps. And death is what's happening to us. I didn't see my dog sit around, you know, going, I'm three now. That means I'm 21. I mean, time is flying by, seven years for every year. I mean, what am I doing with my life? No, he just wants another bone. He just wants another whatever, right? He's not sitting around. But people today, they're pining. What if I get sick? What if this happens? What if that happens? What's going to happen after I die? You say, they're in bondage to the fear of death. It's got them in a chokehold. It's got them coming and going. Why? Because the Bible says the sting of death is sin. You know what puts the sting in death? Sin. Sin is the enmity that makes death scary. That's it, brother. That's it. You know, people, no offense to any dentists in the room. Right, If you're a dentist or you're a dentist watching at home, my teeth, thank you. But most people don't enjoy going to the dentist. And I'll tell you why. People dread the dentist because they're afraid it's going to hurt. Is it going to hurt? Is it going to hurt? No, no, no. I just got this gigantic needle. It'll just be nothing, right? But they're afraid they're going to go to that dentist and something's going to be wrong and it's going to hurt. And I'm telling you, folks, The sinners that we rub shoulders with out there, the people we'll see at fairs, 
Let's not hate on them. Let's have some compassion on them. Those sinners are in bondage to the fear of death because of sin. Because deep down, they know something is wrong. Deep down, they know something's wrong between them and God. And if they ever faced God and had to face him in judgment, it's going to hurt. So they'd rather just not go. They'd rather tear up your track. They'd rather turn you off the channel. They'd rather just pretend like God doesn't exist. But brethren, let's rejoice. Because if Jesus Christ took away the sin of the world, you know what death can do? Death can lose its sting. Death doesn't have to be so scary anymore because of Jesus Christ. Listen, I don't know if you like bees. I don't like bees, right? If you were stuck in your bedroom and a big bee was in there, right? You know, you know what happens when there's a bee in the room? Oh, <laughs> that's all you can see is that bee, right? You are in bondage to that bee because you're, is it going to hit me? Is it going to land on me? Huh? You're like learning karate moves you never had before. You're doing wax on, wax off, side, side, paint the fence, all kinds of stuff. You're moving all out of the way because you don't want that bee to land on you and sting you because you know it's going to hurt. And that's what death is like, man. People are so afraid to die. We've seen it over the last few years. They're just like, well, don't touch me. Don't touch. Can't touch this. Uh, uh, right? Everything's, everybody's, they're freaking out because they're afraid that something's going to land on them. And I'm not hating this, some wisdom. I know we had to have some wisdom at some point. But I'm talking as a general whole, people are frantic out there. And they're so afraid of death because if it lands on me, it's going to hurt. It's going to sting me. What's going to happen? I'm going to be in some kind of pain. But if that bee had no sting, you don't have to be afraid anymore. It could land on you and it'd be like walking from one room into the next. It could land on you and you could just laugh and smile and walk into the presence of God. If, if, if God has taken a sting out of death through Jesus Christ, death does not have to be scary anymore. And if it lands on you, it isn't going to hurt. God says precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. It'll just be like, I think somebody said, I think it was Helen Keller said, when death lands on me, it'll be like just passing into another room. You'll just be going from here to the next. It'll be like riding on a breeze. And all that fear of death, God says, you don't have to have that anymore. Go to 1 John chapter 3, just in the neighborhood. Thank the Lord is right. Amen, brother. Amen. 1 John chapter 3. Let's not lightly esteem that. I'm just getting warmed up here. I'm almost there. 1 John chapter 3. Let me show you now what, the, what Jesus came to do on that cross. 1 John 3. He that, 3, 8, 3, 8. He that committed sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. One thing Jesus Christ came to do, he came to take the sting out of death to strip Satan of his power. Somebody said this one time. I really like this quote. Death stung himself to death when he stung Jesus Christ. When death stung Jesus Christ, he lost his stinger. It got stuck in Jesus Christ and he buried it and took it down to hell. And guess what? He doesn't have that stinger anymore. It doesn't have to be so scary to you anymore. Even God in the Old Testament in the book of Hosea said, Oh, death, I will be thy plagues. Oh, grave, I will be thy destruction. Aren't you glad that God said, 
The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. I'm looking forward to that day when there's no more hospitals, when there's no more cemeteries, when there's no more wakes, when there's no more see you when there's no more saying goodbyes. Why? Because Jesus Christ took the sting out of death. That cross was the way that he did it. Go to Revelation chapter 1. Let's go to Revelation 1. You with me okay? Amen. All right. We're going to turn the corner soon here. Revelation chapter 1. Look at verse number 17. Revelation 1, 7. We look at a lot of verses. We want to learn our Bible, not just shout. We want to learn the Bible at the same time. So Jesus preached and taught and taught and preached. We try to mix it all together and give you a blessing. Revelation 1, 17. John gets this vision of the resurrected Christ. And he says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, fear not. I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. You see, he rose again. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen? Amen. And watch what he says. And have the keys, hello, of hell and of death. You see that? When Jesus Christ rose again from the dead, he took the keys of hell and death from the devil himself. Now, now, the devil doesn't even have the keys to his own store. He doesn't even have the keys. Jesus Christ, you looking for something split foot? I got the keys, buddy. I'm the one that's got the keys of hell and of death now. Not you, ma'am. Not you. The devil doesn't even have the keys anymore. That means he's powerless. His power has been broken. Now listen, I'm not going to get political, but I am. During the plague, all right, during the plague, there were some governors out there that abused their powers, all right? I mean, they just did. They just flat out did. They just, uh, they said they had the best intention, but then you looked around and you said, wait a second. And they were abusing their powers. You know what happened shortly thereafter? Some legislatures with half a sense in their brain stripped those governors and stripped those tyrants of their powers. And now those people have no authority. They're still in the same office. They might still wave at the parades, but they don't have the same authority to keep people in bondage and keep people captive like they had before. Amen. And guess what? The devil might still be the God of this world. He still might be all those names that we call him and we respectfully don't want to deal with him, of course. But you know what? He doesn't have the same power anymore because Jesus Christ stripped him of that power by taking the keys of hell and of death from him when he rose again from the dead. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Go to Matthew chapter 16. Let me draw you just one more on that. I like a good fight. I don't know about you. I like a good fight. I used to do some martial arts. I used to like to get into a good fight. I like to watch a good fight. Um, I like to kind of like see a movie with a good fight in it. And guess what? If you've got any red blood in you at all, you love to see the champion win. <laughs> you like seeing the one who deserves to win come out on top. You know what? This is a fight. And I just, I could get excited. I could preach for three hours just in how Jesus Christ accomplished this magnificent victory on the cross. It should excite you. It should warm your heart. And if you can't shout right now, put it in a little bucket and draw it out when you need some hope. And guess what? It'll give you a shout later on. Matthew chapter 16. Look at verse number 13. Look what Jesus says here. Matthew 16, 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, well, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or so one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? That's always the question. And Simon Peter answered and said, 
Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Marjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Now watch verse 18 very carefully. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. His name means like a little stone. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock, the truth that you just revealed about me, that's a rock, right? Jesus said, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. So the truths about Jesus Christ are that rock. And the fact that Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, he says, okay, stone, Peter, that's who you are. And upon this rock, who I am, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Who's the it? It isn't the church. Because we never went to hell. You know who went to hell? The rock went to hell. And the gates of hell could not prevail and keep the Son of God in there. The gates of hell were busted wide open when Jesus Christ, the rock, slammed into those gates and said, hey, Splitfoot, give me the keys. You're out of business. You're going out of business. Amen. Praise the Lord. The gates of hell couldn't hold Jesus Christ because my rock was without sin. Is your rock without sin? If your rock is Peter, then Peter in the next few verses is called the devil himself, right? Jesus says, come out and get get thee behind me, Satan, because the devil was using Peter. That doesn't sound like a good rock to be leaning on. My rock is sinless. My rock is holy. My rock never thought an evil thought, never said the wrong word, never had to say, excuse me at the dinner table, never did anything but please God from the moment he took his first breath to the moment he took his last breath on the cross of Calvary. That's my rock. And when he went down to hell, guess what? They said, what are you doing? He said, I'm just depositing someone else's check. He said, I'm just dropping somebody else's sin off. Don't worry, I'm not staying. I'm only going to be here a little while. And when death and hell landed on the Son of God, it couldn't hold him because he had no sins of his own to count. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That's a, quite a Savior right there. That's quite a, an amazing God right there. And you know what? Nobody else could do that. You know, Jonah, in the book of Jonah, he went to hell. You know if we could go all the way down there, dig past the crusts and the mantle and get down to hell, you know what we see down there? There's gates down there. There's bars down there. Because there's a prison down there where some people are being held captive. Some people being held and punished in that jail down there. And Jonah one time, that disobedient prophet, Jonah went down to hell in Jonah chapter 2. He says, I went down to the depths of the sea and I went down under the mountains. And he wasn't talking about being in no fish's belly because the fish did not go under the mountains. But Jonah's soul went down under the mountains and went down into hell. And you know what Jonah said? He said, the earth with her bars, was about me forever. Jonah said, I can't get out. I can't. Now, God had to raise him up to do a picture and a type of the Son of God's resurrection, but Jonah's like, I can't get out. And if you could listen to the cries of hell, you'd hear similar things. Oh, these bars, all these bars, all these bars, I can't get out, I can't get out. Water, water, water. But you know, in the book of Job 38, God's teaching Job a lesson. He's asking Job these questions because Job got a little full of himself. I wouldn't judge Job if I were you, but Job got a little self-righteous and Job starts crying in his beer and God shows up in a whirlwind and he starts talking to him. And one of the questions that 
God asks Job is this. Job 38, 17. He says, uh, Job, come over here. What is it, God? Just sit down. All right. Get your little box drink. Sit down. Let's talk. He says, have the gates of death been opened unto thee? I don't hear Job. What would you say? Oh, I didn't hear you. Oh, you don't, you don't, oh, you see, because they're going to be opened unto me, Job, because the gates of hell are not going to prevail against me. When I go down there, Jonah couldn't get out, you couldn't get out, Job wouldn't have been able to get out, but you know what? Jesus Christ, when those doors got slammed shut on him in death, guess what? Jesus Christ said, I'm only going to be here a little while, because Jesus Christ could get out. And he was trying to teach Job a lesson. He said, hey, Job, answer this one for me. Have the gates of death been opened unto thee? No but they're going to be opened unto me because Jesus Christ had no sins to count and he busted those gates wide open, took the keys and made his way for the third heaven to go bring that blood to the Father. Amen? Amen? Like we sing that song, Death cannot keep its prey, Jesus my Savior. He tore the bars away, Jesus my Lord. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. Colossians 2.15, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Could you imagine that? Could you just imagine that scene? We got the Son of God. We got the Son of God. You got the keys. We got he's locked up. We got him locked up. And after three days and three nights, there was a rumbling in the jailhouse. And all of a sudden, up from the grave, he arises. You know what that was to them? A triumph over them in it. They were caught with their pants down. They were like, oh, we didn't see this coming. And he said, well, I'll take those keys, devil. And he rose again. And he says, I'm alive forevermore. I got the keys of hell and of death. And when Jesus Christ rose again to show and to signify that God's judgment for the world's sin had been satisfied, the devil was a defeated foe. He lost his leverage. He lost that power. He lost that authority. He lost those keys, brethren, and he knows it. That's why he tries to blind people's minds so they don't think about the gospel for too long because they could get out of jail free with Jesus Christ. (laughs) You say, why then does the devil fight like crazy when he knows he's already lost? That's easy. P-R-I-D-E. Yes, that's the sin for me. That's it, man. It's pride. His heart is like an adamant stone, and he's so proud that he will rage and rage and rage, even though he knows the Bible better than you, and he knows he's lost. But he'll just keep raging. That's not so far removed from any of us, is it? Why would any of you follow Satan's ways if you know he's already been defeated? It's the same reason, pride. You get somebody in some false teaching, right? False doctrine. You just show that person a verse. If that person's heart is honest before God, oh, okay, I better search that out, better study that. You know why somebody continues in their stupidity and their false ideas when you show them the verses? You're not going to convince me. You know what that is? You stink like the devil himself. 
that is just you're dripping, you're soaked in pride, dude. Or you correct somebody about their behavior or their false assumptions about you or a false accusation about you. You just, you kind of point something out to them and they don't want to hear it. They just want to hold on to that grudge and hold on to that whatever. You know what that is? That inflexibility, that lack of ability to change and be corrected. You know what that is? You're just stinking like the devil. You're just full of pride. If you and I, starting with this idiot up here, if we can't be corrected by the word of God, you know what the problem is? Is pride. And if you're sitting there, and I'm preaching to the choir, I know. If you're watching, if this message ever finds somebody to whom this might apply, or if it's you someday, and you know you're wrong, and you know you're doing the opposite of what the Bible says, when you know the devil is a loser, you know his plans are going to fail, you know sin is going to make your life shipwrecked, you know all these bad things are going to happen, and you continue anyway doing what's wrong, smell your armpits, because you stink like hell. You smell like the devil himself. Because that's what the devil does. He just goes on in his pride. He thinks somehow I'm going to show him. No, you're not. You're just going to be an illustration for a sermon somewhere. Turn around. I mean, I like sports. Maybe you like sports. If you knew the outcome of a game and you knew which team was going to win and which team was going to lose, why would you run the loser's plays? Why would you read the loser's playbook? Why would you try any of the loser's maneuvers? I'd say, no, I need to get over on the winning side. Let me read the winner's playbook. Let me see how the winner says to do it. Hey, Christians, if you know Jesus Christ is one, and you know Jesus Christ is Lord, and you know Jesus Christ is victor, why would you run the devil's plays? Why would you run any of his plays? It doesn't make any sense. I love you. That's why I'm like emphatic. Don't be stunad, as grandma would say, right? Get on the winning side and follow the winner's playbook. Now go with me back to John 12. Let me hurry to the end of this message here. John chapter 12, the second half is shorter than the first, I promise. Unless you say a lot of amens or need to get right, I don't know. But John 12, 31, help me out here. Hurry with me, please. Just a few stops left. So at his first coming, the devil was defeated. At Jesus Christ's second coming, the devil will be destroyed. He will be demolished, ruined, laid to waste, and killed. See, John 12, 31, now is the judgment of this world. At his first coming, the cross dealt Satan a present defeat 2,000 years ago. Defeated. But he's still raging. Verse 31, the rest of it. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. At his first coming, the cross dealt Satan a present defeat. But at his second coming, Jesus Christ shall future deal Satan a promised destruction. (laughs) You see, the cross broke the devil's power, but Jesus Christ's coming will bruise the serpent's prince. You see, verse 31, he shall, future, be cast out. He'll be cursed, damned, stamped out, doomed. That's that's pretty exciting. Because you know what Spurgeon said about the devil? It's a great quote. I saw it this week. He said, Satan can make men dance upon the brink of hell as though they were on the verge of heaven. Aren't you tired of all the deception? He's got your loved ones fooled. He's got your neighbors fooled. He's got your country fooled. He's got your families fooled. He's got the churches fooled. He's got the cults fooled. He's got, and you know what he's doing? They think they're okay and they're dancing on the brink of hell like they're on the verge of heaven. And if you're saved, you know what? Something in you wants to see God make it right. Yes, 
Something in you wants to see, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. I can't do it. You and I can't do it, but he could do it. And one day, brethren, one day, the tempter will be banished. One day, because of what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross, he's going to be finished, and he's going to have tricked his last person into hell. He's going to have to ruin his last family and broken up the last Christian. He's going to have done his last devilment. You know, Jesus Christ, he saved your soul because of the cross. You know what you're waiting for? You're waiting for deliverance. Woo! You're waiting for a trump to sound, and you're waiting to get taken out of here. Amen? Even so, as we pray in the prayer room, even so, today would be a good day. It's much, much cooler in heaven than it is probably down here. But you know what Jesus Christ, he served the devil a death sentence at the cross. You know what the devil's waiting for? He's waiting for destruction. He's waiting for his demise. Go to Revelation chapter 12. Let me show you some of it. I'm going to show you just two stops of it now. All right, we're going to just run through some verses here. Revelation 12. Can't do these justice, but I'm going to try. Revelation 12, speaking about the tribulation, speaking about the coming time when the church is taken out of here and... and uh, the Lord starts to turn his attention again to Israel. It says in Revelation 12, 7, it says, And there was a war in heaven. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought. You read the book of Daniel. Michael stands up to fight for Israel. This is the tribulation is beginning, and this war in heaven is beginning. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. You know where the devil's domain is? Up there. He's up there, that second heaven, man. He's got his princes and his principalities, and they got that network of evil on which they kind of control the affairs of the world and try to steer things, and God's just playing chess with them. But in the tribulation, God's just going to say, you got a lot. you're going to lose your place. I'm going to push you down to the earth. And he says in verse number 9, and the great dragon, watch the words, ready? Because every word is pure, was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ, as opposed to the devil's Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them, because the heavens will be cleansed. The devil's going to lose his place in those high places where those wicked ones like to reside. They're going to get pushed down. It says, woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. You see, when the great tribulation begins, the devil is cast out of heaven, and he comes to earth as a man. You want to see what God does to that man? Go to Isaiah chapter 14. Let me just, let's just beat up on him a little bit more here. He's done enough to you. We could do a little bit to him. Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. See, the Antichrist is the devil in a human body, like Jesus Christ is God in a human body. In Isaiah chapter 14, you see, when Jesus Christ comes back to set up his kingdom, that wicked prince, that Antichrist, that devil incarnate, he's going to get cast out too. He's been cast out of heaven, but he's going to get cast out even further. Isaiah 14, 1. For the Lord will have mercy on Jacob and will yet choose Israel. See, second coming. And set them in their own land. See? And the strangers shall be joined with them and they shall cleave to the house of Jacob. 
And the people shall take them and bring them to their place. And the house of Israel shall possess them in the land of the Lord for servants and handmaids. And they shall take them captives whose captives they were. See, Israel is going to be the head and not the tail in the millennium. And they shall rule, meaning Israel, over their oppressors. And it shall come to pass in the day that the Lord shall give thee rest from thy sorrow and from thy fear and from the hard bondage wherein thou wast made to serve. So he says, in that day when I set up my kingdom and Israel gets rest, look what happens to old devil incarnate. That thou shalt take up this proverb against the king of Babylon, which is a title for Satan, and say, oh, how hath the oppressor ceased. The golden city ceased. The Lord hath broken the staff of the wicked and the scepter of the rulers. He who smote the people in wrath with a continual stroke, he that ruled the nations in anger is persecuted and none hindereth. The whole earth is at rest and is quiet. They break forth into singing. Man, that's going to be a day. When that wicked tyrant, who's not a peaceful ruler, he's a monster. He rules the world like a monster. He executes people. He forces people to take a mark. Well, people willingly take a mark. And then he executes those that don't submit to his program. He's a monster. He ruled the world in anger. Like Nebuchadnezzar had that anger for anyone who wouldn't bow to that golden image. And God says, oh, how hath the oppressor ceased? He's mocking them. He's making fun of me, saying, you're not so tough now, are you, boy? Now that I bruised your head and knocked you back down to the earth where you belong, you dirty, rotten scoundrel. He says, look at you now, you jerk. That's what he's saying to him. Look at verse 8. And in that day, the one who sought to be the most high is going to be brought lower than anybody else. See verse 8. Yea, the fir trees rejoice at thee. They're going to clap their hands. And the cedars of Lebanon saying, since thou art laid down, no feller has come up against us. You ever read about Abimelech who cut all the trees down? He's a type of antichrist, but we won't go there. That's You think about that. But he says, all the trees are saying, hey, the trees aren't even getting cut down. You're not even cutting anybody down. We've been having a great time since God cut you down, devil. Verse nine, hell from beneath is moved for thee. To meet thee at thy coming, it stirreth up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. Remember all the the kings that you conspired with Satan? They're ready for you down there in hell. You told them there'd be a party in hell, and they found out the party in hell was canceled due to fire. Oh, they're all waiting for you, devil. They're all waiting for you, prince. See what he says right there? He hath raised, it hath raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. All they shall speak and say unto thee, Art thou also become weak as we? Art thou become like unto us? Thy pomp is brought down to the grave and the noise of thy vials. Because he had those instruments built into him, right, Lucifer? The worm is spread under thee and the worms cover thee. Wow, he's getting taken down. And then, brethren, I hope you're just taking this in and enjoying this. Because then the arch villain who wanted to steal God's place way up there, who wanted the sides of the north is going to be brought down to the sides of the pit. Right? Watch it. Verse 12. Look at God's exclamation. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, 
son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said, this is in the past, in thine heart I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Oh, you want in my throne in the sides of the north? I'm going to give you that little spot in the sides of the pit. See how low he's bringing him? Now look at verse number 16. Because when the world looks upon our defeated foe, you know what they're going to wonder? You know what they're going to say? This was it. This guy gave us all that grief. This guy gave us all that heartache. This guy made us tremble and quake. I'm just going to read the verses 16. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee. You know what they're going to do? Like I do when I look at the clock. They squint. They're going to be like, is that really you, Satan? Is that really you, devil? Is that really you, prince? They that look upon thee, right? They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoners. It was you? Remember the Wizard of Oz? And when Dorothy and Toto, they're in there, you know, who dares for the great powerful Oz? You know, they're all scared. They're shaking at the smoke and the fire and all that stuff. And then they saw the man behind the curtain and they said, is this is it? You know what? And I know the God of this world, he makes a lot of noise, he rages, he foams at the mouth, he spits forth his fire. I don't want to mess with him. You shouldn't want to either. I know he looks very scary, but you know what? In that day, when Jesus Christ cuts him down to size, people are going to go, that was it? You were the one that made all this hubbub? Look at verse 18. Here, ready? In 18 to 20, you're going to see as the world is at rest... In Jesus Christ's kingdom, the Antichrist gets no rest. He doesn't even get a grave. He gets cast out even from the grave, and his soul gets cast down into that pit. See verse 18? All the kings of the nations, even all of them, lie in glory, everyone in his own house. But thou art cast out of thy grave like an abominable branch. And as the raiment of those that were slain thrust through with a sword that go down to the stones of the pit as a carcass trodden under feet. Thou shalt not be joined with them in burial because thou hast destroyed thy land and slain thy people. The seed of evildoers shall never be renowned. He says, you know what you're going to look like, prince, in that day? You're going to look like somebody that they, su- they stuck you with a sword a hundred times and your raiment's all ripped and your body's all tattered. You remember what they did to Absalom? when they stuck him with all those darts and they just mauled him as he hung there on that tree. Absalom's a type of the Antichrist. You know what's going to happen to the Antichrist? When Jesus Christ comes back and bruises his head and he's laying there like a carcass, you know what he's going to say? Hey, fowls. Hey, birds. Dinner's ready. And he's going to call all those fowls and all those birds and all those eagles and all those vultures are going to come and pick at the flesh of the Antichrist and all the people that followed him. I don't think you're getting too much of this preaching on too many pulpits on a Sunday morning. I know. I don't know. I don't know how relevant it is for you. I don't know how I can share this in any way to make it any smoother or palatable. But that's the Bible. 
And that's what the Bible is looking forward to. And you know what? That, there was an old message preached years ago called Payday Someday. And brother, Payday Someday, that's what Satan's going to get for, for taking a body of flesh and trying to counterfeit Jesus Christ. Follow me now. Follow. He said, your body's going to get mangled. You remember what your devils did to my son? Remember how your devils moved my son to whip him and punch him and smite him and stick him and do all that stuff to him? Well, guess what? It's your turn. You want to imitate my son? You want to be a copycat Christ? Hey, I'm going to call my fowls down to pick apart your flesh and mangle your body, devil. Like you watched my son get mangled. I'm going to let your body get abused. You reap what you sow. You say, is that really going to happen? Go to Genesis 3. I just got three verses left. Hurry with me. Is that really going to happen, Pat? That sounds like Star Wars. Well, I bet if I, watched, if I saw what you watched on Netflix this week, you got enthralled by something far more spectacular and ridiculous. This is as true as true can be, right? Genesis 3.15 is the earliest promise in the Bible of the Messiah. And I want to show you in Genesis 3.15, the earliest promise of the Messiah points to the devil's doom. It's right there in Genesis 3. They're not even out of the garden yet, and God says, it's going to happen. See Genesis 3.15? The Lord says, and I will put enmity between thee, speaking to the serpent and the woman, and between thy seed, meaning the serpent's seed, mm-mm, antichrist, and her seed, that's going to be Jesus Christ, it her seed shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Both comings right there, ready? First coming, thou shalt bruise his heel. That's the cross. Second coming, he's going to bruise your head. The Antichrist is his head and he's going to crush his head. It's all promised. You see, the devil's doom was secured at the cross, but it's executed at his coming. That's your Bible. Now, go to Romans chapter 16 and then Malachi 4 and we're done. Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. Oh, brethren. What a book, right? What a book. What a God. What a Savior. Amen. Come on. Stay with me now. Stay with me. I know it's hot. Nobody's hotter than me. I just lost five pounds. Amen. Right? You know when Jesus Christ broke the power of the devil at the cross? You didn't see it. You believed it by faith and God saved your soul. Amen. Anybody saved here today? Guess what? You didn't see. Hey, I like that two hands, Kristen. I like that. Both hands. Hey, right? Right? You didn't see it. Had to believe it by faith. But when Jesus Christ bruises the person of the devil at his coming, you're going to have a front row seat. You're going to see it with your eyes. You're going to look upon it. You don't have to see it by faith. You're going to watch it by sight. So let me ask that again. Are you saved? You're going to be coming towards him. Make sure you're behind Jesus Christ in that day. Make sure he's not coming at you. Because if he's coming at you when he comes, you're on the wrong side of the cross. Get on the right side of the cross now, so you're on the right side of the cross then. (laughs) You get on the right side of the cross now, you'll be on the right side of his coming then. (laughs) You're on the wrong side of the cross now, you're going to be on the wrong side of his coming then. Because I can't wait, man. I'm going to take up some... 
some equestrian stuff, man. I'm going to get on that white horse, and I'm going to be riding, and I'm not going to have to lift a sword. I don't think it's like a self-driving steed. It's just going to ride, and it's going to have lane departure protection and anti-collision protection, and I'm just going to be riding. I'm like, go get him, Jesus. Go get him. Go get him. And he's going to stomp that sucker like you stomp a grape in a wine vat. And he's going to do all the work and we're just going to rejoice and watch and enjoy that millennial rest that comes after it. And Romans 16, 20, after the great book of doctrine in the book of Romans, God leaves you with this promise to the church, to the believers. He says in Romans 16, 20, and the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. That's the same way they end the whole Bible, right? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. So he says, the end is coming, saints. I know. I know it seems like it's taken so long. Like, Lord, where are you? But you know what the Holy Spirit says? Shortly. Just a little while. And it'll all be worth it. Just a little while. And I'll take care of it. Just a little while. Shortly. 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 Go to Malachi 4. Last book of your Old Testament. Malachi 4. Malachi 4. Malachi 4. Look at verse 1. Oh, to see that day. We see by faith the cross, but I'm going to see by sight the greatest moment in the history of the universe when the right king takes the right throne. That's the highlight. You see, the cross was your highlight, but the Father had to turn away from the cross. You know what's the biggest day for the Father? When his son steps out of heaven and takes his throne. That one, he's going to be like leaning over the balcony and just looking with him and is celebrating. And in Malachi chapter 4, the Bible says, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And that day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch, but unto you that fear my name shall the son of righteousness arise. I know it's doctrinally Israel, but we could spiritually apply it to ourselves. With healing in his wings, and you shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And watch it now, watch it. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. In that day, the wicked is going to be bruised under your feet and the wicked and all the world that rejected Jesus Christ and rejected you for loving Jesus Christ, they're going to be ashes under your feet. Wow. An old preacher said, we are evidently no friends of Satan. Like the kings of this world, he wars not against his own subjects, The very fact that he assaults us should fill our minds with hope. The very fact that you had a tough week this week, maybe he could give you some hope. You know what? If I'm doing right, happy are ye that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are ye. It's a reminder that, you know what? If there's some friction, I'm going against the grain. I'm going in God's direction, not like everybody else. If there's a little bit of resistance, problems, rejection. But one day, brother, one day, God's going to make it right. God's going to settle the score. You remember when Jesus Christ sent out his disciples to preach the gospel of the kingdom? He told them to do a strange thing. He said, and whosoever will not receive you, when ye go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. That's a weird thing to do. 
they reject you. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I showed you. Now my hands are dirty. I need some hand sanitizer. Hand sanitizer, right? You know why they had to wipe the dust off their feet? Because one day, they will be dust under their feet. One day, all that have rejected him, you will be dust under the feet. Now, we don't want that for anybody. We want you to be saved, born again, and written in the name's book of life. But hey, man, wipe the dust off your feet because one day you may be dust under their feet if you follow that wicked one. You know what he told his disciples? Brush off the dust and go to the next town and preach. So when you get rejected, you know what? Dust it off, shake it off, whatever you got to do, and go preach to somebody else. And try to save as many people and get the gospel as to many people as you can. And God will settle the score. God will take care of it. Like Martin Luther sang that great song. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. Amen. Finish with me in John chapter 12. I just want to finish where we started. Just give you a challenge and we'll go home and eat something, I guess. John chapter 12. Do you see why the cross should be such a reason for rejoicing? Come on. You see why it's such a reason to rejoice for the saved? I mean, if you're saved, you should be, man, it's a reason to shout and praise God and say, whoo, I mean, to study that a little more and get excited about you a little more, Savior. But do you also see now and understand now why the cross is such a reason for regret and resentment for the wicked? And for the lost that are in bondage to the wicked, because it's a constant reminder that your doom is coming. And in John chapter 12, 31, I want you to notice something. John chapter 12 and John 16, get them in each hand. John 12, 31, he says, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. The Savior talks about the cross and his coming in the same breath, because they're connected. Go to John 16, 11. Hey, a good 16, 11 right here. John 16, 11. He's talking about the Holy Spirit coming after he goes back to heaven. In John 16, 11, he says that the Holy Spirit's going to come and reprove the world in verse 11 of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. He hasn't come back yet. He hasn't died on the cross yet, but he knows he is. And he says, it's as good as done because I'm dying on that cross. They're connected, folks. The Savior who died on the cross to save you is coming to deliver you. Rejoice! And you know what else? The serpent who God defeated and keeps busting your chops, guess what? By the cross, he will be destroyed very soon. Rejoice! They're connected because of the cross. And as much as the devil rages against it, you should rejoice. If he's going to try to shut him out and block him out and make it like nobody knows about your Savior, you should do everything you can to make God famous. You should do everything you can to lift that cross up. That's how you stick your finger in the devil's eye and make a praise for Jesus Christ. Because if he hates the cross, you should love it. If he wants to make the cross of none effect, you should make it the power of God in your life. If he wants to make the cross, like, oh, no, no, don't say that word. You should be talking about it morning, noon, and night. Whenever you get a chance. 
And when the lion roars, remember the cross. When the serpent speaks to draw you away, remind him about the cross. And don't spend your time and waste your time listening to a loser. Don't listen to a loser anymore. C.S. Lewis said something pretty smart. He was a lot smarter than me. He said, like a good chess player, Satan is always trying to maneuver you into a position where you can save your castle by losing your bishop. He'll make you give up your bishop, Jesus Christ, so you could save your castle. Don't do that. Don't do that. If you're saved, you're already on the winning side. You're on the winning side. I know. It may look like defeat at the cross. I know. But Jesus Christ was securing a victory. And it may look like we're losing down here. But brethren, the devil's doom is a done deal. All because of the cross. Let's stand for prayer. Let's stand for prayer.